Welcome to episode number four of the Larry Crawford Leadership Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help you become the leader you were created to be. It was New Year's Day of 1929. Georgia Tech was playing the University of California in the Rose Bowl, one of the biggest games of college football. In the game, there was a man by the name of Roy Regals. He recovered a fumble for California. Somehow he became confused and started running the ball 65 yards in the wrong direction. One of his teammates, Benny Lom, outdistanced him and downed him just before he crossed into the opponent's end zone. Uh, when California attempted to punt, Tech blocked the kick and scored a safety, which was the ultimate margin of victory. Now, the strange play came... Uh, the strange play actually happened in the first half. Everyone who was watching the game was asking the same question. What will Coach Nibs Price do with Roy Regals in the second half? Well, the men ran off the field and went into the locker room, and they sat down on benches and on the floor, all but Regals. He put a blanket around his shoulders. He sat down in a corner, put his face in his hands, and cried like a baby. Now, if you played football, uh, you know that typically at halftime, the coach has a great deal to share to the team. But during this halftime, Coach Price was quiet. No doubt he was trying to decide what to do with Regals. Uh, then the timekeeper came in and announced that there were only three minutes before uh, time for the second half to begin. Coach Price looked at the team and he said simply, Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. The players got up and they started out, all of them but Regals. He did not budge. The coach looked at him and called to him again. Still, he didn't move. Coach Price went over to Regals, sat down, and said, Roy, did you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second half. Then Roy Regals looked up. His cheeks were wet with the strong man's tears. Coach, he said, I can't do it to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face the crowd in the stadium to save my life. Then Coach Price reached out and put his hand on Regals' shoulder and said to him, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. Roy Regals went back, and those tech men will tell you that they've never seen a man play football as Roy Regals played that second half. Now, here's the interesting thing. What happened after that, there were 4,500-plus stories totaling an estimated 250,000 column inches written about Roy Regals' failure in running the ball the wrong way all across the nation. He could have allowed that failure to define him, but he became one of the best football players the University of California ever had. He became the team captain. He went on to earn All-American honors. He led the Bears to a great 7-1-1 record the following season. All the negative publicity, all the laughing, all the criticism, it could have ruined his life, but he did not allow failure to define who he was. As a matter of fact, not only did he bounce back and graduate, and not only did he go on to be a successful businessman, he was in the Air Force, uh, did all these things, he also took time to write other young athletes who made some all-too-human error, encouraged them to realize that tomorrow is another day, that one moment does not have to define who they are. You see, Roy failed in a game, a football game, but he came back, and he came back with impact, not just in his sport, but with his life. 
Today, I want to talk to you as a leader, and I want to address a topic that most leaders don't like to talk about, but every leader experiences at some level in some way throughout their leadership. It's called failure. Failure can result in a tragic ending, or it can be a new beginning, a fresh start. Today, we're going to take a look at two leaders who were trained by the best mentor, the best leader, the leadership guru who lived on the planet Earth. They experienced on-the-job training for three-plus years. Now, what they have in common is they both failed. But for one, it was a tragic ending. For the other, it was a new beginning, and he became a great leader. Let me introduce you to Judas first. In Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16, it says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, speaking of Jesus, to you? as they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time on, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. And in fact, he actually did betray him. Now let me introduce you to Peter. You can read about him in Mark 14, 27 through 31. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the rest said the same. Jesus went on to say in Luke 22, 31 through 34, Simon, Simon, Satan's ass to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me. Strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. And we know the story. If you don't, both men ended up denying Jesus. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver betrayed him with a kiss, turned him over to the authorities that led to his arrest, his crucifixion. Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. You see, as a leader, it's not a question of if you and I will fail. It's a matter of what will we do with our failure? What will we do after we fail? When you look at the life of these individuals, you'll see that they experienced many successes before their failure. Uh, Peter, in John 6, 60 through 69, we read that when everyone was leaving Jesus because the teaching got hard, Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In Matthew 16, when Jesus asked the question, who do men say I am? And they were getting a plethora of answers of who people thought he was, a great teacher, a prophet, John the Baptist, Elijah, all these things. He looked to them and said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly stood up and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In another moment, he made a statement where Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So P Peter experienced the ups and downs of leadership that perhaps you're experiencing right now. There was another moment where Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and first Peter refused, and then Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter, who's an all-in kind of guy, said, Lord, then wash all of me. There's Matthew 18, where he's on the Mount of Transfiguration with James and John and Jesus, and he experiences the miraculous. But then there's the moment where he denies Jesus three times, even curses that he knew him. The rooster crowed. The Bible says in Luke 22 that the moment that he denied him the third time, the rooster crowed, that Jesus looked straight at Peter 
And he went out and he wept bitterly. What happened? What caused these men to fail? And what caused them to respond in different ways? I believe with Judas, I believe that he thought there was no way back. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. I believe with Peter that he was frustrated. He didn't understand God's plan. He didn't understand why Jesus didn't fight. Why did he allow himself to be arrested this time? There was doubt. There was, there was anger. There was uh, just a not knowing and not understanding. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a place where things just didn't make sense? Everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, something happens that totally you didn't see it coming. Something happens that shocks you. Something happens that you don't understand. Somebody doesn't do what you thought they should, or even bigger than that, God doesn't come through the way that you thought he should come through. For me, that happened multiple times in 1996. There were three different situations I experienced, and before that, I experienced betrayal by leaders that were close to me that I would have literally taken a bullet for, that we were that tight, we were that close. But as just as Judas betrayed Jesus, there was betrayal. Following that, there were three situations. There was a man by the name, we called him Waffle. That was his nickname. He was a man that came to Christ. He had been very sick and he needed a heart transplant. And in the midst of while he was waiting and while he was on the list, he seemed to be doing okay, doing doing pretty well, actually. And uh, I left and was gone out of town. And on my way back, I got word that he had suddenly passed away. And I said, God, I don't understand. And then there was Joanne, another lady in our church. Her and her husband had gotten saved through the ministry and were walking with God. She became very ill, had a lung condition. She needed a lung transplant. And we had been praying for her. We'd been believing for God to do a miracle in her life. And I got a call one night that she was in Barnes Hospital in St. Louis, and it didn't look good. They wanted The family wanted me to come down, and so Kevin, my associate, and I went down to St. Louis that night, and we were there throughout the night praying with her, speaking to her and the family. Things seemed to be getting better. They encouraged us to go get something to eat. Finally, we went to get a cup of coffee, and while we were gone, she coded, and before we got back, she passed away, and I said, God, I, I don't understand what you're doing. One final thing happened with a pastor friend of mine by the name of Barry, who was from Virginia. He was a mighty man of God. He was used in a powerful way to minister to so many people. And he found out that he had a tumor on his brain, and they were going to go in on a Monday morning, and they were going to laser that tumor. uh, And they said it's not a big deal. And of course, anytime you're having something done, especially when it comes to your brain, it sounds like a big deal. But it was something they did on a regular basis. But what happened in the midst of that, one of the nurses bumped the laser and it caused him to be a quadriplegic. And for the next 15 plus years, that's the way he lived. I I didn't understand why God would let that happen. As a leader, you're going to deal with situations. You're going to deal with betrayal, which is going to put you into isolation sometimes. You're going to deal with disappointment. You're going to deal with sometimes working so hard that you're going to become so tired that you're not in the best place to make the best decisions. And that's often when we fail, when we get ourselves in these situations. I found myself in that situation and I didn't think there was any way back. I lost my relationship with God. I couldn't hear the voice of God anymore. I couldn't feel the presence of God anymore. It was literally hell on earth. If I could know any at all what hell feels like, I know that hell is the absence of the presence of God. That's what it felt like. 
But God in his grace and God in his mercy didn't give up on me. And he reached out to me and he brought me back to him first. And then he brought me back to what he called me to do for him. I just want to encourage you today that if you're struggling, don't give up, don't give in. I want to encourage you today, maybe you find yourself on the other side of failure and you don't know how to get back and you feel like there's no hope. I want to share three keys to come back and not only to come back to God, but to come back with impact, how to turn your setbacks into a setup for the miraculous of what God wants to do in you and through you, because God is not finished with you yet. Don't allow your failure to define who you are. Allow what Christ has done for you on the cross to define who you are. The first thing is, number one, we have to come to a place of facing our failure. You see, Judas, he didn't do that. In Matthew 27, 3 through 5, we see that when he realized that Jesus was not going to escape, that it wasn't a, an opportunity for him just to make some money and Jesus would walk out just like he did before and be just fine, he ran to the people that he had betrayed, that he had taken the money from, that he had betrayed Jesus with, and he said, here, take the money back. I've sinned innocent blood. And they said, what's it to us? That's your responsibility. He threw down the pieces of silver and he departed. And he went out and he committed suicide. He hung himself because he couldn't face his failure. You see, instead of facing his failure, he tried to fix his failure. If we're going to make it beyond failure and be able to become who we were created to be, we have to come to a place where we face our failure. If we do not, listen, if we do not face our failure, our failure will constantly be in our face. Judas tried to fix it. He couldn't, but he never faced it. Now, Peter also had to face it. And I'm sure Peter tried to figure out ways to fix it. But let me tell you what happened because eventually he faced his failure so that his failure wasn't constantly in his face. But before that, it was. I want you to think about this. Every day, Peter would hear the rooster crow. Every morning, he would hear the rooster crow. It was a constant reminder of his failure. For me, it wasn't the rooster, although I grew up with roosters. I, at this point in my life, didn't live on a farm. To me, it was the alarm clock. The alarm clock would go off. I would wake up and I would remember that my failure wasn't just a nightmare, but it was a reality. For Peter, there was the fire. Every evening, they were by the fire. Every morning, they were by the fire. They would cook on the fire, so it was throughout the day. See, he denied him when he was by the fire, and so every time he was by the fire, it was a constant reminder of how he had failed. For me, it wasn't a fire. It was the light switch. It was a constant reminder that no matter where I went, my failure was in my face. For Peter, he went fishing. He went back to the only thing that he knew before. And he gets in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and the storms, everything that happened was a reminder of the times that he was with Jesus and how he was supposed to be a fisher of men, but now he can't even fish well for fish anymore. And the final thing where the failure was constantly in his face was, if you remember earlier, when Peter denied Jesus a third time, as the rooster was crowing, just like Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what that image was like? A constant reminder. I'm sure he dreamt about it. I'm sure he thought about it in the daytime. That image of Jesus looking right at him when he had let him down, when he promised him that he would not. But here's the amazing thing that Jesus did. In John, the end of John, we read that Jesus met Peter 
first thing in the morning, while the rooster was crowing, by the fire, face to face, while he was fishing. Jesus wants to meet you at your place of failure so that your failure is no longer in your face. For me, I was in Evangel Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I went there because church was the only place I could find peace, and yet when I was there, it was difficult to be there. That day, they had Ron Cannoli, the gospel artist that was doing a tour. And in the midst of his concert, the church is full, thousand-plus people. He comes back where I'm sitting, stops in front of me, puts the microphone in my face, stops the concert, and says, Sing Jesus Loves Me. I looked at him. My life's screwed up. I'm a mess. And I said, I cannot sing. And if you know me, you know that is actually the truth, that I cannot sing. He said, No, Sing Jesus Loves Me. And I said, No, seriously, I can't sing. And I'm thinking, You have no idea where my life is right now. And he says, no, no, sing. Jesus loves me. And he put the microphone in my face again and he wouldn't leave. And so I sang, Jesus loves me. And I thought, God, this is really good. You're embarrassing me in front of all these people. When I finished, he said, you're right, brother, you can't sing. And he went on with his concert. At the time, I thought God was embarrassing me, but what he was actually doing was he was causing me to face my failure so my failure wouldn't constantly be in my face. He wanted me to declare before 1,000-plus people that he still loved me, even though I didn't think he could love me anymore. Whatever it is that you've done, whatever it is that you're struggling with, I want to encourage you to come face-to-face with your failure in Christ so that your failure is no longer in your face. The second thing is this. You have to come to a place of feeling his forgiveness, of experiencing forgiveness, a fresh start. When we fail, we often find ourselves in the place that I found, found myself in, that life will never be good again. As a matter of fact, I kept thinking that over and over again and even saying it, life will never be good again. And I was convinced that was true. Peter evidently was convinced that was true. Judas was. Judas ended his life. Peter, he went fishing. And he went fishing, and he fished all night, and he caught nothing. He couldn't even fish well anymore. But that's where Jesus met him. You can read the story in John 21. And Jesus took him back to Luke 5, where he originally called him, where Peter had fished all night, caught nothing, and Jesus said, cast on the other side, and he did, and his nets were so full. Well, the same thing happened again because Jesus took him back to that very place that he had called him. And when Peter did it this time, the nets were full. And then he realized it was the Lord. And then they had a conversation. And you can read this in John 21. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word for love, which is the God kind of love. It's the word agape. It's the strongest word there is in the Greek language. Peter looks at him and said, Lord, you know I phileo you, which is the love, the word in the Greek for brotherly love. It's where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Jesus looked at him a second time and said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter looked at Jesus and said, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus looked at him a third time and he said, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And he said, Jesus, you know I love you like a brother. And God began the restoration process. What I want you to see is Jesus met him where he was. 
and he wants to meet you where you are right now. I understand you feel like everybody else has given up on you. I understand everybody else walked out on you. I know what that's like because I've been there. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus will not walk out on you. He's pursuing you, and he loves you. And just as he made me declare before a thousand plus people, Jesus loves me. He loves you also. I was in Dixon, Tennessee at a leaders conference when all of this had happened, I was still in a bad place and the restoration process was in process. And let me just say that that's what it is. It's a process. I was at meetings that I felt like I shouldn't be at. And the last night Chuck Porter got up and he preached a message about Moses and the burning bush, the God of a second chance during worship. Before he spoke that night, three times the Lord spoke to me and he said, Larry, tonight's your night. Chuck preached the message, gave the altar call, and somehow I ended up from my seat at the altar weeping before God, and I began to experience his forgiveness. Loved one leader, wherever you may be right now, maybe you failed and you think you failed so miserably there's no way back. Listen, if God can bring me back, he can bring you back, but you got to come to a place where you experience his forgiveness and you receive his forgiveness, and then you're able to forgive yourself. The third thing is we've got to come to a place of foreseeing a future, of foreseeing a future. In John 21, we read the story, and you can read all of it in its entirety. I won't take time to read it all here, but I do want to read uh, just a portion of it to you, what happened, because something significant happens here. In John 21, we read in verse 18 that, as Jesus and Peter are talking and they went through the, do you love me? And he said, you know, I love you. That Jesus says after that, most assuredly, I say to you, verse 18, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and will carry you where you do not wish to go. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said, but what about him? And Jesus said, what's that to you? You follow me. I love what it says in Mark 16, 7. Whenever the angel appeared to the ladies and said, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Here, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, you're not done. And then he says, you know, I asked you if you love me, if you agape me, that unconditional sacrificial love. Peter, the day's going to come when you're going to die for me and you're going to be martyred. You're going to be crucified upside down. And that day came. See, one of the biggest things after you failed the Lord, you failed in life so terribly, is the fear that in some way you would fail again. But God's grace is present. I was in Tennessee, desperate in the midst of this situation. It had been over a year since I'd heard the voice of God. Felt like I couldn't get back to God. I went there, I fasted, I prayed. There was nothing. Have you ever been to that place where you've cried out to God? This went on for a year plus, and it was like he was not there, and he was never going to be there. I went there and I hiked Rainbow Falls, 2.7 miles, pretty intense hike. 
I get to the top and I sat down at the rock and for the first time in over a year, I heard the voice of God. And God said, son, I'm calling you to come back to me. And I'm calling you to call my people back to me. Many of them have fallen and my church doesn't know how to restore them. I sat there and I wept and I wept and I wept and I didn't want to leave that place. I would like to tell you from that moment on, everything was fine. But those other stories that I shared happened along the way as God continued the restoration process. You say, well, Larry, how do you, how do you come back from failure? How do you, how do you come back and allow God to use it as a setup to have impact in some way for his kingdom? How do you do that? Well, let me give you just a couple things. First of all, you got to make a decision to come back to God. When Jesus said, come back, I'm calling you to come back to me, I had to make a decision to say yes to him. And then you got to make a declaration. See, failure is not final unless you let it be. Failure does not have to define who you are, who I am, who we are. What Jesus did on, at the cross on Calvary is what should define who we are. We also have to have discipline. As Pastor Fred reached out to me in the midst of all this and told me, Larry, there's hope. When when I felt there was no hope, he said, there's hope. You just got to take one right step at a time. When he told me that, I even said, I, I know what you're saying. I've told other people that, but you don't understand. Because I really believe there was no hope. But you know what? He was right. There was hope. There is hope. And for you, there is too, but you got to take one right step at a time. The third thing is you just got to grow as a disciple of Jesus. The most important relationship is your relationship with God. Your relationship with everyone else will never be what it can be, what it should be, what it's intended to be, what it was created to be, unless your relationship with God is where it needs to be. I want to give you some questions. I want to leave you with these questions of how we can fail forward, as John Maxwell says, how we can learn from our failures so that it will not only not be in our face anymore, but also that we can help others who are struggling to perhaps keep them from failing, but also to help others who have failed to be able to come back from failure and to move forward into their destiny. And so this is something you can discuss. Uh, you can think about it personally, or you can discuss it with your team. Number one, what caused the failure? What caused the failure? If you fail, what caused the failure? Was it a situation? Was it someone else or was it yourself? For me, there were things that led up to it. I mentioned uh, there was the betrayal of people that were close, hurt by those in the, hurt in the church by the church, hurt by others that you thought that you could trust your life with. So betrayal, it may be someone else. That's, that plays into it. That doesn't make an excuse for it, just a reality. And then there's isolation. When that happened to me, I made a decision. I'd never be that close to anybody again. I kept everyone at an arm's length. There was a lack of accountability, which led to my failure because we were not created to be independent. We were not created to be independent. We were created to be interdependent. We need each other. And then there was disappointment, disillusionment. God didn't do what I thought he should do. He failed to come through in those situations where I expected him to work a miracle. And then there was the fact that I was overdoing it. I was tired. I wasn't resting. And when you're in that place, you make bad decisions. So what caused it? What caused it for me? Situation, yes. Someone else, yes. But reality, what caused it was myself.
making wrong decisions. Second question that you can discuss with your team is this. What can I learn from what has happened? What can I learn from my failure? People will sometimes hurt you. That's what you're going to learn. Those closest to you hurt. When they hurt us, they hurt us the most. I mean, if someone's close to you and they hurt you, it's going to hurt more than someone that's not as close to you. But here's a lesson to learn. We cannot keep people at arm's length in our lives. We need each other. And we need people that are close to us. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other. We'll never become who we're created to be apart from each other. And so what can I learn from it? Well, those things are going to happen. But I can't change who I am. And I can't change the fact that God created me for a relationship with him first, but also for a relationship with others. True fellowship. Third question that you can contemplate and discuss with your team. How can I turn my failure into something that will help others? Well, one thing you can do is exactly what I'm doing right now is be authentic, be transparent, share your story. Your story will help someone else. Your story will help someone and will actually keep some people from falling, from failing. Your story will help those who are struggling in the midst of a failure. Your story will help those who have failed and feel like there's no hope be able to come back from that failure. You see, how are you going to take your failure and turn it into something to help others? By knowing that God not only heals our brokenness, but he ministers to others through broken vessels. God ministers to others through broken vessels that he's put back together. See, now is the time for you to come back and make history for the glory of God. Now is your time. God created you for this time. It's time to come back to him. And if you do that, you'll come back with impact. A number of years ago, there was a story about a pastor that had an opportunity to observe open heart surgery. And the open heart surgeon went in and opened the patient's chest, lifted out the heart, performed the necessary procedure. Then the surgeon placed the heart back into the patient's chest and began to massage it, which is what they do to prompt it to beat again. But something wasn't right. It wasn't working. The heart did not beat. The surgeon tried again and again. Nothing worked, no response. The medical team tried more extreme measures, but still there was nothing. Finally, the surgeon removed his mask, bent close to the patient's ear and whispered, Mrs. Johnson, this is your surgeon. The procedure went perfectly. I've done everything I can do to repair your heart. Your heart is healthy. Mrs. Johnson, if you can hear me, I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And you know what? Her heart began to beat again. On the cross, Jesus did everything that was needed to heal your heart, to help you come back from your failure, to turn your failure into an opportunity to minister to others who are hurting. Precious loved one, it's time to tell your heart to beat again. God has done everything needed to repair it, but you got to get up and tell your heart to beat again. It's time to come back with impact. It's not only important for you, but other people are counting on you coming back. 
I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. If we can be of any help or encouragement to you, please reach out to us. We would love to hear your story. We would love to pray for you. We would love to be here to help you and encourage you in any way we can. Remember, we are here to come alongside you and help you become the leader you were created to be. Thank you for listening to the Larry Crawford Leadership Podcast. For more information or to download the leader guide for this episode, you can go to our website, larrycrawford.live. To get in touch with us, send us an email at leadership at larrycrawford.live. Oh, 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 oh,